We're in this series. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, and it's all about the parables. And in this series, I, I've preached on a few parables I've never, ever taught on before. One was the rich man and Lazarus. It was one of the ones that we kind of kicked off things with. And that's in Luke 16. You can go back and read it again. And you might want to because we're in Luke 16 for another couple of weeks. We're returning to the same chapter, different parable. And it's another parable that I've never, ever preached about. And it's, it's one of the most confusing, confounding, irritating, troubling passages of Scripture in the Gospels. And uh, that's what I love about it. Um, because it puts us in a place where we have to ask questions we've never asked before. It makes us feel tension we've never felt before. And maybe helps us understand God in ways that we never have before. And I think this is a good thing because it takes maybe some preconceived notions we have about who God is or how he works, all these things, and just sort of smashes them on the rocks and we get to rebuild a bit. And I think in these days, that is a good thing for it to happen to us in all manner of subjects and ideas and thoughts. So before we can get there, let me ask you to imagine with me. Um, I don't know if you have ever played the lottery game. I mean, not literally played the game, although that's an interesting question. We should ask it. How many of you have bought a lottery ticket ever? Let me see. Put your hands up. Put them up. Put them up. Uh, Own it. Own it. It's okay. How many of you felt a little guilty when you did it? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you felt like it was a wrong thing, but I'm going to do it anyway? Let me see your hands. How many of you thought, I don't think you see anything wrong with playing the lottery? I think everybody should. Let me see your hands. Okay, very good. Um, Now we all know where we are on this spectrum of morality and ethics. And you can compare yourself thoughtfully to the people near you. And so the lottery game that I'm talking about is the, the what-if game. The what-if game. How many of you played the what-if game? What if we won the lottery? Let me see your hands. You played that game. Come on, you have. Don and I like to play this game. I don't know why. It's just fun. And it's also revealing. So recently with the mega millions, do you remember how big the, the jackpot was? One point, I don't, you got to change the name, right? Now it's going to be mega billions, I guess. $1.3 billion. And so Donna and I had a conversation. We didn't go buy a ticket. I mean, not like some of y'all. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just, I don't even know where to get a ticket. I mean, I, that's how holy I am. I don't even know where to buy a ticket. Um, I'm just joking. So we, 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 we asked this question, what if, what if, what if we want, what would we do? And one of the first, if you, you've played this, you've, you've thought about it, have you thought about it really? Okay, so have you made a list, have you, not, not a real list, we didn't either, but we, we kind of, you know, just wondered what would it be like and what would happen to our relationships and you, you've played this as well and this, this thing that happens to us when we consider such astronomical wealth is beyond our comprehension. Really, it is. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to put that kind of wealth. Some people do. Some people live with it, and they, they have it, and it's just part of their world. I mean, you know, some, some people's wealth in our world just puts into shadows the, you know, the wealth of a silly lottery win. You know, they have billions and billions. Some people have millions and millions. Some people are in between. Some people are paycheck to paycheck. So when we begin to ask this question... What begins to surface for Donna and I and our, our thoughts about life, and money, are things like you know, values, hopes, dreams, priorities, these kinds of things. Although the first question we wondered is, if you win the lottery, does your name have to be public? <laughs> have you wondered this? So it really depends on what state you live in. 
Unfortunately, Colorado is a state that actually publishes the name of the winners, sort of. They publish the first name, full name, and the last initial, the initial of your last name. And so I, I guess anybody could plausibly say, well, I don't know who that was, but it wasn't me. I don't know if they give residence or anything like that. There are some things that are public record. Some states have public record. That would change everything, wouldn't it? Would it change your relationships in your family? Would it change which calls you take when you look at your phone and you see the caller ID? Would it change whether you work or not? It's the first question that people wrestle with. The day after you win the lottery, are you going to work or not? Are you calling in sick? You don't have to do that anymore. Are you calling in done? What are you doing? Now, that question, of course, is one that you can wrestle with this week. And I, and I recommend that you do. And here's why. Because it does surface things like priorities and values. But that scope is almost impossible for most of us to comprehend. So think about it this way. What if a friend of yours, you don't know who it is, it's an anonymous thing, but let's say that they're a friend of yours, and again, you don't know that at the time, what if you find out one day that somebody at your work desk or maybe in a plain envelope in your mailbox, somebody has given you $100, just a crisp C note, 100 bucks, and there it is, no explanation. You just open it up and you think, oh, this is you know, one of those pay it forward things, and you've got $100 in your hand. You don't know what to do with it. You have no one to thank. You have nowhere to go with it. You just think, I guess, I guess this is mine now. And then the second day comes, the next day, we'll call it a Tuesday, and there's on your desk at work, underneath some post-its, another fresh $100 bill. You have no idea where it came from. One day you open up your Venmo app and there it is from some weird kind of strange email address. You can't trace back. It's $100 in your Venmo. And what if this happened every day, every day? I mean, it's not a lot of money, is it? I mean, it kind of is. Depends on who you are, isn't it? But you see it every day, $100. About how much is that a month? Somebody that's good at math. It's pretty close to $3,000 every month. I mean, I don't know if that would change your life. It might. What would you do? How long would it have to happen before you begin to expect $100 to randomly show up. How long? For some of you, it'd be like two days. <laughs> Day three, you'd be like, where's my $100? It's noon. For some of you, it would be 60, 90 days, six months, a year. How long would it take before you begin to count on this and figure it into your income? Because early on, you're going to think, I don't even know if I can count on this. I could spend the 300 I have, maybe the 600 or the 1200 but I'm not sure what to do with it now. And there it sits. Maybe I only spend it once I get it. But then you've been eyeing that vehicle or that new thing or the whatever. And you thought, I mean, I, I could count on this money. It feels like I can kind of count on it. And then suddenly one day it stops. How do you feel then? Maybe a question to ask is this when it comes to money. Do you feel like you have, I mean, don't answer too quick. Just let it sit. Do you feel like you have, you know what I'm going to ask, don't you? 
what? Enough. That's right. Do you feel like you have enough? Until $100 shows up on your desk and you think, well, I mean, I had enough yesterday, but this feels pretty good. The question that we're trying to get at, the, the one that we want you to think and ponder on is this one. What is your relationship with money? What is your relationship with money? What are your feelings about it? What's your perspective on money? It's different for everybody in the room and listening online. Uh, it comes from a variety of different places. If you're going to ask this question, then the question you have to be astute at answering is, what is the relationship that your, oh, your, your, your parents, your adoptive parents, your whoever raised you or whoever influenced your perspective on values and money, uh, those things that were poured into you before you even knew what those things were, uh, these ideas of what wealth is or what poor means and what happens in between, what were they? How were they given to you? And then how have you changed that perspective or that understanding over time? And what circumstances have caused some of those shifts? A stand of unemployment, a sense of, oh my goodness, I can't believe we can afford this now, uh, untold debt, maybe an understanding that I have everything I need has always been with you. What is your relationship with money? You could ask it a thousand ways, but it's worth wrestling while we're two weeks or so in this passage in Luke. Because if you recall, the rich, land, rich man in Lazarus kind of goes there regarding resources and what we do with them. It's important that we think about it. Uh, as our church is embarking on all sorts of things, we're pondering this as well. How do we view resources and what we have and what we don't have and what we hope for and how we want to change and influence and be a part of our community? And Jesus talked about money all the time. This chapter in Luke is just one portion. At one point, Jesus said this. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of what? Jesus didn't plan on saying this. He was teaching, and there was a crowd nearby, and there was a man who was in the crowd, and he spoke up. He had a rabbi in his presence, and he wanted the rabbi to give a decision. And the decision was, the man asked for, he said, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. That's what he wanted Jesus to do. And Jesus didn't say anything except this. Well, oh, no, be careful. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of of greed. Have you seen money tear a family apart? Have you watched siblings come at odds because of possessions, finances? Jesus famously said this next statement, often misapplied, very rarely understood, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a what? To enter the what? kingdom of God. Jesus had a lot to say about money. And these statements that Jesus makes are even more sort of confusing and confounding and even in some ways disturbing when you lay these ideas and thoughts against the parable that he tells in the middle of Luke chapter 16. And so it's worth it. So here's my hope. My hope is over the next couple of weeks, you have some discussions about this question with people you know and the people that you're in relationship with. 
people that know how you buy things and what you spend it on and whether you are likely to incur debt or whether you're very miserly with your money, all these kinds of things. I hope you have conversations with people that know you that you can't kind of push one over on and say something spiritual without them saying, are you sure about that? Because last week, and they have a perfect example for you, but I hope you have these discussions because this question will help you peel back layers and these layers will help you understand what Jesus is getting at. And when he does go there and talk about money, it's penetratingly difficult for us to open up our heart, trust God, and allow him to do some work on our feelings about scarcity, things of plenty, what we do with what we have, what's being asked of us, and how God is at the center of our need to trust. This is what matters most. And all we want to do, this isn't, uh, I don't think I've preached on money once uh, since I've been here at Castle Oaks. Um, and, and this isn't about tithing. It's not about giving. It's not about any of that kind of stuff. This is the most generous church I've ever been a part of. And um, I'm so grateful that we have the resources we need to do what we want to do as a church. This and the teaching over the next couple of weeks is all about leading us to a place of freedom. That's it, freedom. Because the feelings that we have about money keep us locked up. They keep us bound up. They keep us from experiencing God's goodness and grace. And they keep us from trusting him in ways that allow us to experience his love. And so that's our hope. That's our hope. And so I'm gonna tell the parable. We'll dig into a lot of it next week and, and maybe the week after. We'll see. Maybe we'll just preach about this all the way to Christmas. Who knows? <laughs> Here's the parable. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager, and this manager was handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So this is his, one of his top level, maybe his key top level manager. And this rich man had probably many people that did various things, went and scouted land or handled investments or oversaw employees or managed this business or that business. There is a manager that works for this rich man and he was wasting his employer's money. We don't know where the report came from. Maybe it came from a, oh, an underling that thinks, you know what, if I'm going to climb the ladder, I can get somebody out of the way. We don't know. Maybe it, come from a, it came from a friend of the rich man who saw some dealings in town and thought, you know, I need to tell Bob what's up with his, with his crew. We have no idea. And apparently it doesn't even matter because this is the setup and this is the, the beginning of the story Jesus is telling. There's a man, he's wasting his, his boss's money. So the employer called him in, the rich man, he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be what? Who in the room's been fired? Yeah, I've been fired. This, of course, is a, a, a moment. Most people who are let go, get pink slipped or whatever, they don't see it coming. Or at least that's what they say. They didn't see it coming. And for the most part, I don't think that's probably true, but it doesn't really matter. There's a perspective. When, when this happens... There is an upending of your life, and you have to begin to sort out some things. I, I, I had a thing, now I don't have a thing. I had a paycheck coming, now I don't have it. And my life now is a bit in 
uh, redo mode. I have to now find a new path. And that's exactly how this manager felt. In fact, Jesus says, the manager thought to himself, now what? You've thought that before in your life. Maybe it wasn't a job. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was an unforeseen occurrence, a repair at your house. You're thinking, now what? But he says this, my boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And I'm too proud to beg. I mean, you thought somebody else came up with that song title, didn't you? Not the case. Jesus did. And so this is exactly the circumstance that they're in. Now, before we go any further in the story, I want you to grasp this. When Jesus is telling this story, one of the things that he's saying is this. Look, this is a problem. And he's stating the problem really well. He's taking a couple verses to do it. And this problem is in need of a solution. That is a big part of this parable. Some of you are problem solvers. Some of you are incredible at seeing different facets of an issue and saying, well, why don't we? How about if we? Nobody's thought of that before. Nobody came up with that until you walked in the room, you joined the meeting, or you were part of the conversation. Jesus is saying that, look, there's a problem here, and this man is going to find himself out of work, unemployed, without money, nowhere to live, nowhere to eat. This is a problem, and it is in need of a solution. There is immense value in that skill and that ability. And with every problem that you've ever faced, and same for this man here, there's always a couple of ways to look at it. You can look backward and say, well, I should have. You probably have some should have for this man, right? Well, you should have what? Should have what? Yeah, shouldn't have wasted the money. You should have saved some for your rainy day. You should have planned ahead. Nobody has a job forever. Come on, man, you got to think about these things. You should have. There's always a should have. And there's always a next time, too. Always a next time. You know what I'll do next time. Next time I'm going to, next time I will. But that does not remove the central idea that there is a problem here and it needs to be solved. And if you're doing those things in your family, your business, your nonprofit, wherever you are, your neighborhood, relationships, then that is part of how God created you, the creativity that you bring to the deal. And Jesus is going to reward it. It's, a, it's an important part of bringing God's kingdom to earth, solving problems in creative ways. I shoulda, not helpful. Next time, I mean, you know, learn, learn lessons, right? But what matters most is where is he's this guy? What's he going to do now? Today, what's he going to do today? And so this is a problem, and it's in need of a solution. And so it occurs to the man what he can do. Here's what happens. Oh, I, I know. I know what I'll do. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So the man hasn't been fired yet. He's got a little time. The guy, the boss, and when I get back to town, this is what's going to happen. You know, the, the hammer's going to fall. We don't know how long that was, but he has a solution now. And he's going to solve his problem. And this is what he does. And it's pretty unbelievable. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He did this sort of, you know, off the radar. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him, his boss, the rich man, his employer? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. 
How you find yourself in debt, 800 gallons of olive oil, I don't know. But that's what happened. So the manager told him, here's what I want you to do. Take the bill, and you can just see them sitting across each other from this desk, shuffling papers. He brings in the bill, and the manager has the, the books that he has to keep. What did his boss tell him? Hey, tidy up the books. Take care of business. You're done. You only have a short period of time here, so he does. The manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to what? Now, again, not good at math, but that's roughly what? Yes, roughly half. And so he does that. He writes it in the book. Oh, I, he only owes you 400 Are you sure about that? That doesn't seem... No, it's good. Just zip it and be on your way. And he does. Makes it 400 Then he calls in somebody else. And he says this. And how much do you owe my employer? He asks the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, which was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to what? 800 bushels. Roughly 80%. And so when he does this, he does this over and over and over again. Now, I don't know why it's a different amount. Maybe, maybe he's flush with olive oil and he can get away with it. Maybe wheat's more expensive and it gives him a good return, the 200 bushels or whatever it is. We have no idea why the amounts are what they are, except that he probably does this with many, many others. And he does this so that he will be taken care of when his boss comes in and says, today's the day, you're done. Hit the streets. And then Jesus gives the most troubling conclusion that you could even fathom. This is what it says. This is what came out of Jesus' mouth. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted, what? Shrewdly. Can you imagine? He's already inept. He's lazy or a poor businessman. He's, he's mismanaged or in some way wasted his employer's money. He's already inept, and now the rich man is going to take a look at his books. And he does. This is the only reason he could make this comment. He looked at his books and said, oh, my goodness, look at this. I, not only has he wasted my money, now he has stolen from me just to pad his landing when I kick him out of here. And the employer, the rich man, he calls him in and says, I commend you. I commend you. Now, I promise you, nobody listening to Jesus' parable, to a rabbi teaching about who God is and how God operates and how we ought to see God and how God sees money and resources and all of this, expected Jesus to say this. And all of this happened after he knew he was going to lose his job. I like the NLT version of this translation. It says this, the rich man had to admire the what? The dishonest rascal for being so shrewd, had to admire him. And that, my friends, is the end of the parable. That's it. It's incredible. And when you read this, I hope it leaves you feeling like you ate something you shouldn't have, like you are dissettled. I, I don't know how I feel about Jesus commending someone who is so dishonest. He just cheated his way into good fortune so that when he's done, he's going to hit the streets. He's going to go to his buddy and say, hey, you remember that? Remember those gallons of olive oil? And, you know, we did a little thing there. You remember that? Can I stay in your barn for, I don't know, six months? Are we good? You going to feed me? 
What's 400 gallons worth? How about you just float half of that to me, just as a loan? And I have no idea how he would maneuver and use his newfound friendships that he has purchased with his boss's goods to benefit his life. But that's exactly what Jesus commends. So you ought to feel some tension about that. And it ought to make you feel a little unsettled. When Jesus tells a parable and he makes a dishonest person the hero of the story, someone who was stolen, when he holds them up as the example for us to consider, it, it, ought, to, it ought to rub you the wrong way. And not only should it rub you the wrong way, and not only is this man dishonest, Jesus gives us the perspective of the authority figure who is over this man. And he says he admired him. Unbelievable. Now that tension is something that you ought to live with. Especially as you consider and ponder the other question that we wrestled with at the beginning. What is your relationship with money? What, is you, what, what about your relationship with the resources that you have at your disposal? And that could be anything from the money in your bank account, the house that you have, the car you drive, the gas in the tank, the credibility that you have in town, whatever it is. What do you have relationally? Expectations, hopes, dreams, fears, insecurities when it comes to the resources that God has given you. And the tension that you feel in regards to this story, that this just feels, I don't know, it feels wrong. This incompetent manager, this this thief, he's commended in Jesus' words. If you feel tension about it, this is good. And the reason it's good is because as you begin to wrestle with this, you're going to be tempted to take their take some things in your life and put them in a spiritual category and take some things in your life and put them in a unspiritual or not related to who God is kind of category. We do this with entertainment. We do this with friends. We do this with locations. We find ourselves able to be one person somewhere else and another person somewhere else. We have an idea that our lives are divided into religious and non-religious, spiritual and not spiritual. And that can happen when you're talking about, I don't know, lyrics in a song maybe or people who know Jesus and some who don't. But money erases all of those lines, spiritual and unspiritual. Money is benign. It is neither good nor bad. It is the inappropriate love of money that draws us into places that cause us to maybe not trust that God is for us or with us. And so in our tendency to divide these things, this is the question that begins to push against the priorities and the values of our heart. Now, if you begin wrestling with this question this week, I promise this, God will begin to uncover places where you believe you can make it without him. That if you fill in the blank, save enough, earn enough, stock market turns around, I can be safe or secure. I can be generous then. I can put my values and priorities in good places. 
most of us have an understanding of what that would look like if we had enough. The parable teaches us that there is a deeper question that we must wrestle with. And so for some of the chapter, Jesus begins to talk directly about money. He even is going to give us a more confusing statement about how we are to use wealth right after this parable is over. You can read it and ponder it this week. But my hope is as you wrestle with these issues and ponder material wealth and the money that you have and the money that you wish you had and the lottery that you didn't win yet and all of these things push into the insecurities of your heart and your hopes and dreams of the future, that you'll invite God into that space and that you'll invite someone else into that space too as a mirror, help guide some honest discussion about where we place value. And if we're doing that, we're halfway home. Let me guide you through a prayer. And then uh, Hannah and the team's gonna lead us through one more song that gives us the heavenly focus that God desires for us. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray that this week we will wrestle with this question in a thousand ways that we will, in honesty, ask it. And as we begin to uncover our priorities and our values and our perspective regarding money, Lord, will you just gently, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just guide us to places where we can be honest, honest with ourselves, honest with people that we know, honest with those that we walk with in relationship, honest with our family. And we pray that that honesty would be a place of freedom for us, that we can open up our hands and say, Lord, we have fears about this and that in the future and what we should have done and what we hope to do different in the future. Lord, we're unsure about how you will provide and whether or not our nest egg will last and how we can pay our bills. And we pray that all of those fears and doubts, wonderings, and hopes and joys and dreams will come to rest at your feet and that we will begin to trust you more fully, more deeply. And that that trust will lead us to places of freedom. That's what we want. And so, Lord, we believe that all of this, what we have, the resources you've put in our hands, our attitudes and values about money, we believe it all centers around a bigger idea of the kingdom and what you're doing and building your kingdom here on earth as Jesus declared in his ministry, as he began to preach and teach and heal, that the kingdom of God is here. And so, Lord, as we sing these lyrics, remind us, inspire us to be in a place of surrender, and trust, security, and freedom. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.